All right, so as you know, uh, because you've lived through the past week, Christmas is a time for sweets, right? Sweets, uh, cookies, candy, cake. Uh, my favorite is, is the candied covered pecans. I cannot resist candied pecans. I'll eat the whole thing. I will not share any with you. <laughs> so if you're like me and you find these treats hard to resist, then I want you to know that you're in good company because there was a sugar craze that swept over England in the 16th century, English society. Uh, the colonial trade had brought sugar uh, from Brazil and from India into England, uh, but it was very expensive, very expensive to get sugar. Only the rich, only the elite uh, could afford to have sugar. And so uh, what quickly happened is that the, these high-priced chefs uh, would figure out new confections and great things to do with this sugar. It became a central ingredient in lavish banquets and, and uh, cookbooks among the elite, but, but only the rich could afford it. But back then, sugar's effect on teeth was not yet known. And so Queen Elizabeth herself had a legendary sweet tooth. She even used a sugar-based toothpaste, which five out of five dentists do not recommend. <laughs> At 65 years old, uh, you've probably seen this portrait of her, uh, her lips were narrow. Her teeth had turned black because of all the sugar uh, that she ate during her lifetime. And yet, the queen's black teeth only made her more appealing to the general public. And so what they did was to mimic her. They would use coal or soot, and they would rub it on their teeth so that they could have black teeth, just like the Queen of England. And that fad lasted for the length of her life and then quickly died out. But it took years for dentists to figure out the relationship between sugar and black teeth. Now, why am I telling you this? I'm telling you this because there are so many ways that we may not be aware of that sneaky and silent rot uh, can come in and can do damage not only to teeth, but to our spiritual lives. This doesn't happen in one day, right? This happens over time as we, you know, slowly maybe neglect the Bible or neglect time in prayer. That's one silent killer. And when we do that, we open the door for the enemy's attacks. We allow him to get a foothold into us. Another silent killer of spiritual growth is isolation. Isolation, right? We have learned that during COVID particularly, uh, that people being cut off from other people is so bad for mental health and spiritual growth. It causes anxiety and uh, depression, uh, poor sleep, lack of exercise, loneliness. All of these things were reported by people who spent so much time alone during COVID. Well, what we're trying to do uh, here at Grace Redeemer is, is uh, almost like a New Year's resolution. We want to relaunch, re-energize, reinvigorate our small group ministry because we, we don't want to neglect the Bible. We don't want spiritual rot to creep in uh, to our body here. And I love that you're all here on Sundays, and this is great attendance for, for what we would normally think is a low Sunday on, on, on New Year's Eve. So I'm so happy to see you all here. Uh, but what we want is to provide more opportunities for you than just Sunday morning uh, and more than just the women's Bible study and more than just the, the men's breakfast. We, we, we want to have you in small groups because this is a place where real growth happens. You know, Jesus did life with his disciples, right? He preached to the masses, but he had a small group of 12, and these were the ones uh, that he taught through and who then ended up bringing the message to the wider world. And so uh, this Sunday, we're, we're just going to try and kick off a, a little mini relaunch 
of our small groups. And what I want to say at the outset is that we as the elders have, have set a goal of 75% of our church members being in small groups. Now, there's nothing magical about that number, uh, but like any New Year's resolution that you might set, if you don't have a goal, you're never going to reach it. And so 75% is a number that we think uh, is a target, uh, a number that we think uh, is reachable, and we think that it's a very important part of what we want to be here at Grace Redeemer Church is, is a church of small groups. So this morning what I want to do is, is just lay a biblical foundation for why we have small groups and then tell you about some of uh, my and Molly's personal experience in small groups uh, and then to finish telling you just a little bit how we're, we're going to uh, shake up the small groups a little bit. Now, there are many passages that I could choose from to talk about small groups because uh, the Bible is filled with them, but I'm going to limit myself to just two. And the first one is Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. So let's read this, and then we'll pull out a few principles. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So there are three things that I want to pull out from this passage here, uh, which ought to be the foundation of small groups here at Grace Redeemer. And the first is studying the word. That's what we see here. They're studying the apostles and the, and the words of Jesus Christ. Now remember, <clears throat> Acts 2 is the birth of the church, right? This is right after the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. This is, you know, 33, 34, you know, mid-30s, very early on. Uh, so the Holy Spirit had come. People were very excited about what the Holy Spirit was doing uh, in them and, and through them as, as the church uh, grew, as we see in verse 47, that the Lord added to their number daily those who were being uh, saved. And so in response to this gift of the Holy Spirit, uh, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, you realize, of course, that none of the New Testament was written by Pentecost, right? All they had was the Hebrew Scriptures, what we would call the Old Testament, and they had the apostles' teaching, their experiences with Jesus and, and Jesus' teaching that they relayed to uh, these people who were now new believers, uh, guiding them into deeper knowledge of God. And so together, they grew in the knowledge of the Word. And that's something we want all our groups at Grace Redeemer to emphasize. Study the Word together, even if it's only a short devotional, a short Bible study. Just be in the Word together. So that's the first thing, studying the Word. Second thing I want to show you is that they gathered together for fellowship, right? They broke bread. They ate together with joyful and sincere hearts. They prayed together. They met in the temple courts they met in their homes. In short, they, they did life together. These new believers spent time together. They built each other up, encouraged each other, and they learned from the apostles, and they learned from each other. Now, these first century folks didn't have large houses. At most, they probably could fit 10 to 15 people, and so that was the small group. There would be 10 to 15 people per house, and they would be teaching and learning from each other and having meals together. But, but that's good, because 10 to 15 that's a good-sized number to, to form relationships uh, so it's not too big, not too small. 
Uh, and you can be in involved in each other's lives. You can pray for each other. You can know what's going on in each other's lives. You can even hold each other accountable as to uh, whether people are in the word or not in the word. Uh, and so we are following that model. We're going to try and cap these small groups at 14 people. Uh, some of our small groups got a little larger than that, uh, at least on the rosters anyway. So we want to be sure we don't get over 14 people because that's the best size for good discussion and relationship building. So they studied the word, they gathered for fellowship, and then third, we see here that they met each other's needs. They sold property. They gave the proceeds to any Christian, any believer who had need. They acted as one community, sharing with those who had less so that no one did without. Now, this is not communism, right? Communism is the government-mandated taking of your wealth and redistributing it to people at their discretion. This is voluntary. This is Christians voluntarily taking what is theirs and giving to those uh, who have need. Knowing that Jesus gave his life for ours makes it much easier for us to take what we have and give to others who have need. And so we act as the hands and the feet of Jesus, whether it's financial help, uh, a home-cooked meal, babysitting, uh, yard work, uh, you name it, right? We, we all have times where we have extra needs, and people in our small group uh, can be very helpful to us in that time. So from this passage, we see a, a biblical foundation for small groups in the early days of the church. They studied the word together, they had fellowship, they helped each other uh, as needed. Now, as I said, this is early 30s, right? This is the beginning of the church. Everybody's super excited. Now, let's fast forward 40 years or so to the book of Hebrews, to the book of Hebrews. Uh, this was written by someone, we don't know who, but uh, at least a second generation and maybe even a third generation Christian uh, by the time we get to the author of Hebrews. And so time had passed, right? Some of the excitement of the early church had dissipated a little bit. Jesus had not returned as many had expected. Persecution against the church was on the rise, and many of these Christians were considering walking away from the church because it was just getting too hard for them to continue in their faith. And so Hebrews chapter 10 is written to encourage these people not to leave the faith. Don't turn away. Stick with it. Jesus is the way. He's superior to Moses, the law, the sacrificial system, the priesthood. Jesus is better than anything that they might be considering turning away from uh, to go to. Jesus is far better. And so that is the context of, G of uh, Hebrews chapter 10. So let's read this passage, and we'll pull out three principles from this one as well. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. <clears throat> Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. All right, from this passage, I want us to see, first of all, the first few verses here uh, are about uh, this confident access that we have in Jesus Christ. We are saved. That's verses 19 through 22. We have confidence that we can approach the throne 
of God. And we talked about this last week during the Christmas Eve service, how we have access to God through Jesus, through the, the ministry of reconciliation that he had, uh, through his blood, uh, he introduces us to God. He helps us into this access to God, into this grace in which we now stand. He reconciles us to God by his blood. He makes peace between us and God. And so when we have received Jesus as Lord and Savior, there is now no barrier between us and God. We have access to God. The veil has been torn. We have direct access. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the good news of the gospel. We have full assurance of our salvation. Now, beginning in verse 23, this is an encouragement. Now what? Now that we have this access, what do we do? Well, verse 23 begins to tell us, we hold unswervingly to this hope that we profess. Now, remember, this letter is written to people whose hope was swerving. It was wavering somewhat. And so here is the encouragement. Uh, they needed encouragement and they needed tools about how to hold unswervingly. How do we uh, hold on to this hope that we have so that we will not turn away from our faith, but will continue on in the faith that we have and the gospel that saves? And the first one is to spur another, each other on to love and good deeds. So your version may say stimulate one another to love and good deeds. It means motivate, to, to motivate one another to love and good deeds. Well, what does that mean and how might small groups help? Well, when we come together, we ought to be genuine. Uh, we ought to recognize that each of us has difficulty in our, life, uh, in our lives. Uh, none of our lives are sin-free. This, this Christian walk can be difficult. And so I would encourage you to, to share your problems, share your struggles with other members of the small group and, and get help and encouragement from them in your time of need. So for example, you might say, uh, I'm having a really difficult time uh, in a relationship with, with somebody in my family or, or somebody at work and, and you know, I just don't know what to do. I've tried this and that. I, I don't know what the answer to this is. And that person may have had a similar conflict. Somebody in your small group may have had a similar conflict and may say something to you like, well, you know, I find that whenever I'm in a conflict, the best thing I can do is not to avoid it, but go to that person and, and try to resolve that conflict. And uh, those are wise words of wisdom. Uh, it, it's your move. Go ahead, try to resolve that conflict. Uh, and that wise counsel that came from somebody else in your small group, uh, maybe God talking to you through another member of your group. Uh, so God works that way. Or perhaps maybe you may be uncertain how you are best equipped to serve the Lord. You want to serve the Lord better, more, in 2024. And someone in your small group may recognize that you have a spiritual gift that you don't even know you have. Uh, maybe you have the gift of, of teaching or help or mercy, but you don't recognize that in yourself. Well, sometimes it takes somebody on the outside of you to look at you and see the gifts that you have uh, that you've never seen in yourself and stimulate you to, to stoke that fire in you. Remember Paul telling Timothy, don't let that fire burn out. Keep stoking that fire. So maybe somebody in that small group will, will uh, help you, stimulate you to, to use these gifts that you have and spur you on to good deeds that align with your gifts. So uh, stimulating each other to love and good deeds. Uh, a second method of holding unswervingly to the hope we have is to continue meeting together. Again, this, this book of Hebrews written to people who are discouraged. They're wavering in their faith. The bloom had started to come off the rose. 
And you know what that's like. Tomorrow is New Year's Eve. You probably all have made New Year's resolutions or you're thinking about New Year's resolutions and you're gonna to try to decide what that's gonna look like for you. And we're all gung-ho January 1st and January 8th, we're you know, kinda of into it and January 15th, eh, not so much. And by February, you know, maybe it's gone. Uh, the bloom comes off the rose very easily. We, we need to be encouraged. We need to uh, continue to, to persist uh, in this hope that we have because life change takes great discipline and meeting in small groups helps hold us accountable uh, to the things that we have committed to. And so it's the same with our walk with God, right? Uh, a New Year's resolution is great as long as we have the discipline to stick to it. And so our walk with God requires discipline. It requires that we persist in it, that we pursue it. We make a priority every day. And so this generation that the letter of Hebrews was written to, some of them, as it says, had started to give up the habit of meeting together. And so isolation is one of Satan's greatest tools uh, to, to get us to be discouraged, to walk away from the faith. You know, when, when dolphins hunt schools of fish, uh, they surround these schools of fish and the schools lump together in a very tight ball and each fish wants to be close to the middle, right? Because that's the safest place. So what the dolphins do is they blast themselves right through the ball and they create chaos in the ball. And then when they separate these fish, they're all isolated and they're much easier to pick off one fish at a time rather than a great ball of fish. And so, that's what happens to Christians. When we live in isolation, away from the community and fellowship of other believers, we find ourselves easy for Satan to pick off. So we want to be sure that we are continuing to gather together as uh, the writer of Hebrews encouraged the folks. And then the third way to hold unswervingly from this passage is to encourage one another. Now this is different than stimulating one another on to love and good deeds. This is uh, comforting an ailing brother or sister. It's reminding an ailing brother or sister about the hope that we have, the faith that we have, our security in the Lord, his sovereignty over all things, that, that God is good and he will work all things for his glory and for our good. And it's easy for us to fall into depression and sadness uh, when our lives seem out of control. And we need encouragement uh, that God loves us and that he has a reason for all that he allows and that he will use it for his glory and for our good. So that's one thing that, one way that we can receive encouragement. Another way is, is that, you know, we all have blind spots. Do you know that? Like, we all don't see ourselves as clearly as, as uh, perhaps we ought to. Uh, sometimes the bad things that are happening in our lives is a result of God's discipline. That, that can happen to a Christian. And so we may not even know that we're experiencing God's discipline. We may need somebody, a small group member, somebody who we're close with, tight with, uh, who is wise enough to give good counsel and maybe ask probing questions about uh, whether this is God's discipline or what God may be doing uh, through uh, this thing that you're going through. So, so many reasons that we ought to be gathering together from this passage uh, that we see, uh, particularly uh, that we can be stimulated on to love and good deeds, that we could uh, continue gathering together for all the benefits that it brings, that we might encourage each other. So this is the biblical foundation. So let me just uh, summarize these before we go on. Uh, small groups give us this Christian community beyond what we see here on Sunday mornings. Uh, Jesus taught in large groups, and then he met in small groups with his disciples. And Christian uh, community gives us the opportunity, as we said, to study the word together, uh, to have fellowship together, and to help meet the needs of the body. So that's from Acts chapter 2. And then from Hebrews chapter 10, to stimulate each other to love and good deeds, for spiritual growth, and for encouragement. And these are just two passages. There are so many more passages that I could have chosen, but we'd be up here all day 
Uh, so what we want is just to understand the basic foundation for uh, biblical uh, uh, small groups. Now, as I said, the Acts uh, group, uh, the Acts, uh, the, the, uh, the Holy Spirit, the small groups from the Acts chapter 2 passage, that's new believers, right? And, and we all need this as new believers, but most of us here are not new believers. Uh, we've been at it a long time. And what we see from the letter to the Hebrews is that even though we've been at it for a long time, we may need encouragement even more than when we did when we were new believers, uh, than we, when we were younger in faith, because this community helps us not grow complacent, uh, not to, to rest on our laurels. It stimulates us toward these love and good deeds, and it continues uh, to help us move on in our spiritual growth. So if we're not in community, isolation is one of the silent killers uh, that can easily hamper our Christian walk. So I would encourage you all not to withhold your gifts from the body. Your, the body needs the gifts that you have. Uh, so we want you in small groups. Now, let me tell you a couple of stories from, from our lives in small groups, Molly and mine. Uh, and I think these stories will show you that no matter what stage of your Christian walk you're at, uh, small groups have great value. So when Molly was a new Christian, and I was not a Christian, uh, she was not getting any wise and godly counsel from me. <laughs> what she got from me was hostility. Uh, and so she said, I've had enough of this. I'm going to go find a Bible study to join. And she did. She joined a Bible study called Community Bible Study in New Jersey. And she grew so fast in the word. And, and she'll tell you that she used to ask a bajillion questions. And if you know my wife, she's got a lot of questions. <laughs> <laughs> the ladies were very patient with her, uh, very much grace-giving, and she really did blossom so fast. She made incredible friends there, and in fact, uh, one of her best friends in the world now is somebody uh, that she first met in community Bible study 25 years ago. So an incredible benefit, a lifelong friend that she made. Uh, when we moved to Texas 12 years ago now, you know, the kids, they made friends in school, and I had seminary to keep me busy Molly gave up the most when we left because she was leaving her CBS community, her friend group, the house that had been in her family for a century, and she really didn't have anything here that was just for her. So the first thing she did when she got here was to join another CBS group. And through that community Bible study group, she was introduced to a, a group called Seminary Wives uh, down at Dallas Seminary, which is a group of, of, of wives that get together, wives of seminary students. Uh, and they were able to, to help her, tell her what to expect. Uh, they, were, they were women who had been, uh, who were married to seminary guys who had been in seminary for, you know, three or four semesters already while I was just getting started. And so uh, she was part of that group. And that group was led by the wives of seminary professors who were able to build Molly up and give her encouragement as, you know, it's a, you, you can become a seminary wife widow, you know, while the, while the husband is studying all the time and the wife uh, is, is spending a lot of time alone. So they encouraged Molly when she was lonely uh, and questioning why God had brought us here. And so what a blessing it was for Molly to be involved in these small groups. When we came to Texas, uh, we joined Stonebriar Community Church, you know, a mega church up in, in Frisco. Uh, and so we had the church, and then we joined a, an adult Sunday school, which was probably bigger than our church. Uh, that's how big these, these uh, classes are at Stonebriar. And uh, at the time, I was an intern there. And as an intern, one of my responsibilities was uh, to, to train small group leaders how to lead a small group. 
And so we figured that if I'm going to train small group leaders, perhaps we ought to be in a small group ourselves. And so what we did was we went around that, that adult Sunday school class and we you know, handpicked some of the people that we had gotten friendly with and asked them if they wanted to form a small group uh, with us, and that's what we did. And that was a really great group of couples. Now, I've told you before that, that uh, in 2014 and 2015, Molly and I went through a very difficult time. Uh, I had severe anxiety and depression, and I didn't even want to live anymore. Uh, and the men in that group uh, came by my side, stood next to me, rallied around me, supported me, and encouraged me. We would go out and eat together. We would pray together in one of the guy's cars that we called a prayer mobile. It was the prayer mobile. We turned it into a place of prayer. And most men wouldn't do that unless they were close to each other already. So the fact that we were in a small group, uh, we already had that relationship so we could jump right into a praying relationship like that. We became very close because of that small group. Now, Molly was everything uh, to me in those days, uh, as she still is, of course, but she needed a break from me. I, I was brutal in those days. I wouldn't let her out of my sight. And so these guys gave me the encouragement and gave her the encouragement uh, you know, to, to, that, that things were going to be okay. They, they gave her a break from me for a few hours, and they were very supportive of us as a couple. But when we started that small group, we had no idea of the dark days that were coming ahead of us, right? We had no idea what was ahead of us. And so I'm so glad that we did start that small group because it was part of what we both needed to help get us through this difficult time. Now, of course, if this is going to be functional, if it's going to work, this requires vulnerability. You've got to be willing to share. You've got to be willing to let people see the real self, right? I mean, we're great at Sunday morning faces. Everything's fine, everything's great, everything's wonderful, right? But, but in a small group, you can be vulnerable. You can let other people see uh, even, even the bad, even the ugly sometimes. Uh, and so uh, that's how you get to know each other. And so joining a small group today may bless you in ways that you can't even imagine, whether you're on the giving end of the blessing or whether you're on the receiving end of the blessing. Uh, you can do both in a small group. So again, <clears throat> encouraging you all to be in small groups. So uh, let's talk about what we're going to do uh, with this small group relaunch. Um, <clears throat> if you look at the handout that we put in the bulletin this week, uh, you'll see what the goals are, what we hope to accomplish through this small group ministry. You should have this uh, in your bulletin, and I'll put it up on the screen here. The first thing, that's a little small, hard to see. Look at it on your bulletin. Uh, the goals are connection. We want you to get to know each other through spending time with one another. Uh, we want you to experience spiritual growth, grow in re your relationship with Christ, and grow uh, with your relationship with one another through time in the Word and through prayer together. And then engagement, make a difference uh, in our church and the community through caring service. Uh, we want these things to be the goal of small groups. So those of you who have not been in small groups, uh, you'll experience this. Those of you who have been in small groups, you've probably experienced all of these already. Uh, so if you haven't been in one, we'd really encourage you. We'd like you to become part of a small group now. Uh, we'd like to see 100% of you in small groups. We realize that's probably not possible. But what we said is probably 75% uh, is a realistic goal. Now, for the past years, uh, several years, we've had three small groups. Uh, there's been the, the, the Hastings-Kraus group uh, that I've been a part of. There's been the, the Craig group. Uh, and there's been the Herrick group. Uh, so we've had those three groups the past uh, few years. Uh, now, the group I've been a part of, the Hastings-Kraus group, is, is going to disband and kind of assimilate into other groups uh, for a variety of reasons. So what we needed to do was find another small group leader. 
And so we thought, since we're looking for a new small group leader anyway, this would be a good time to kind of shake up what we're doing a little bit, just to reinvigorate, revitalize the small groups and keep them from becoming stale. And we think it's important to change it up every now and then, get you out of your comfort zone, meet some new people in the church, uh, and have relationships with lots of people. So what we're going to do is we're going to continue with three groups for now. Uh, the Herricks will continue on, uh, the Craigs will continue on, and Michael and Allie Whitaker are going to uh, be the leaders of the third group. So we're very excited uh, about that. Uh, and so three small groups for the time being, and we're going to cap each of those groups at 14. Now, I know what you're thinking. 14 times 3 is 42. That's not 75% of our church. Uh, so we're, we're hoping that there's going to be more. We're hoping that these groups fill and that there's a need to start a fourth group. And so if we do have more than, than three groups fill up, then we have a contingent plan. Uh, the McCulloughs may lead that group or Molly and I may lead that group. Uh, we'd prefer not to lead that group. Uh, we, we'd rather visit all the groups instead of hosting a small group ourselves, but uh, we'll lead one if necessary. And if we did fill a fourth small group, that would be 56, and that would be right about the number that we're looking at, 75%. Now, like I said, there's nothing magical about that number. We don't want to make this about numbers. We just want to encourage everyone about the benefits, to consider the benefits of a small group and join one. Now, if you look on the back of that handout that, uh, that was in your bulletin this morning, uh, there is a sign-up sheet. Uh, looks like this. So as of now, no one is in a small group. You have to sign up again. You have to re-sign up uh, to be part of a small group. Uh, and so uh, each of the small groups is going to meet. It seems like they're all going to be on Saturday nights, and uh, we wish that that could be different, but that's just the way the schedules of the leaders fall, so it, it, that is what it is. The small groups are going to meet uh, once a month, about 6.30 to 8.30. And the format is typically uh, going to be some fellowship time, uh, some food, either a meal or a dessert, up to the small group leaders and the small group to decide what that's going to look like, a short devotional or Bible study, and then prayer time. Uh, so that's the basic format. It should take about two hours, uh, and that'll happen once a month. Now, we are delighted that Michael and Allie are leading a small group, and that's going to be so good. The danger is, the concern is, that the entire under-40 crowd joins the Michael and Allie group. And that'll be great for them, but not great for the rest of us. So what we're really hoping for is, is some, some age uh, diversity within the groups, uh, some single married diversity within the groups. We want diversity uh, in these groups. Uh, so we, what we want is, is because you know, younger believers have so much to offer. Uh, they see the world differently than us, uh, than us older people do, and they, they can teach us things that we don't know uh, about how the, the, the new generation thinks, and, and they have great wisdom to impart to us. And we as older believers have life experience to share with them. So I think we're wasting our gifts if we, if we lump all people age demographically into one group. Uh, so we want to have diversity within the groups. Now, the way to sign up for the groups is to rank your preference for which group you want to be on on that sign-up sheet. You put a one, a two, or three next to the group that you want to be in. Now, I know that you're worried that you're going to hurt somebody's feelings if you put a number three next to somebody. Don't worry about that. The, only the elders are going to see it, and probably not even all the elders are going to see it. So you're not going to hurt anybody's feelings. Nobody's going to know. Uh, this is the way we think is the best to do it. Uh, and so uh, that's how you sign up. And then you put it in the, in the uh, collection bins outside there so it's safe, secure, nobody's looking through it. Uh, so that is how we're going to do it. And then we'll honor these wishes as best we can. You know, if we get 20 people in one group, then we're going to have to redistribute. And we'll pray about how that's going to go, and uh, we'll see what that looks like. So 
this is just how we're, we're going to launch this thing. You know, if we have to tweak it along the way, that's what we'll do. Uh, but this is how we're trying to go forward with it. Uh, so uh, we'll honor the wish, your wishes as best we can. You may end up in your second choice because one group got too many. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. But we want you to hand in this form today if you can. Uh, if you need time to think about it, that's fine. We'll collect the forms until the end of January. And then we're going to relaunch these small groups starting in February. Uh, every small group will meet in February with its new uh, group of people. Uh, and that'll happen then. So if you've never been in a small group before, uh, this is nothing to be nervous about. Uh, this is not super formal. It's come as you are. You hang out with church buddies. Uh, we have a good time. There's uh, no rigid structure. We're trying to encourage flexibility here. Uh, you know, as long as we're, we're having some fellowship, uh, we're in the Word a little bit, we're praying with each other, that, that's all that a small group needs to, needs to be. And so you have gifts that the people in the rest of the group need, and they have gifts that you need. And so we encourage you to be in these, these groups. Uh, so if you have any questions, you can feel free to reach out to me. You can reach out to John Craig, to Michael, uh, to Brooks, uh, any small group leader uh, will be happy to answer your questions. And we're just very excited about how God is going to bless this ministry and what amazing acts uh, of love and good deeds the Lord may spur us onto uh, in the new year for 2024 through small group ministry at Grace Redeemer Community Church. Now, uh, some of you may think that small groups are for a certain age group only. Like, if you're over 18, there is no reason why you can't be in a small group. And I don't want you to think that, that you don't fit uh, with us older folks. You do. Uh, you can all be in a small group, every single one of you. Uh, so let's see what the Lord does with this ministry. We uh, pray that, that he's going to do something amazing through this ministry, not only among us, but what we do outside the walls of this church as a result of uh, these love and good deeds that we will be stimulated to. Okay? Let's pray. And Lord God, we thank you. Uh, for your model, for how you show us what small groups look like in the church, and Lord, that we may uh, emulate that, that we may stimulate each other, motivate, each, motivate each other on to love and good deeds, that we would grow in the word, Lord, that we would grow closer to each other, that we would have fellowship that is meaningful, and Lord, that uh, spiritual growth would be the result. Lord, we thank you uh, for this ongoing process of sanctification that we are in as we continue to study the word and, and try to become more like Jesus Christ. And this is one vehicle that we can use to do it. Lord, we ask that you bless this in the coming year. And Lord, uh, we put it in your hands and, and give you all the glory and honor for what you're going to do. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.